0: You always go to the cross. You don't look at the current circumstances. That's not what God chose to express his thoughts towards you. He chose the cross. So we go with what God chooses to reveal himself. We had a wonderful time this week and a very uh, needed time this week in the word of God, uh, in the revival and um, God's ministering to us, to me, to our church body. Through that, as we looked at the Revelation messages to the churches, uh, chapters uh, one through three primarily, and uh, encourage you if you did not to get to uh, listen in on those. You can uh, go online as well as we'll have copies of those available in the library uh, to hear some of these messages. I I think it was uh, needed and just to get on the same page with all of us that were here. It might be helpful. We're going to go back and finish our. Look at the book of Jonah. I want to give you heads up. Go ahead and start looking. Uh, Book of Jonah. Um, I don't know if you've ever found yourself with misplaced pity. It's kind of unusual, uh, awkward feeling when you when you realize you've got misplaced pity. Uh, This often occurs to us, perhaps maybe in watching a movie, and you hear sniffling, and you realize what's everyone sniffing about crying um you think well i'm just not there i'm not crying are the other way around you're crying and everyone's laughing um a little confession time uh toy story three did me in uh those of you don't have young kids probably have not seen that but uh the first time i saw it and after the 50th time i stopped crying but the first time i saw it um I couldn't deny the tears. Um, it, it was embarrassing. I was like, I'm crying over this cartoon. And uh, the, my problem was that I was one of these boys that uh, personified my toys and, and thought they were alive. Um, you know, they, they had feelings. And I didn't want to hurt my toys' feelings. Um, and so Toy Story really hit a nerve for me And because that's what this boy's doing, you know. And, and then you find out they really are alive. And, uh, and, and so the Toy Story 3... The the scene is is where the the boy is is old. He's he's going off to college. and realizes he doesn't really need the toys anymore, and but he can't quite throw them away. Um, if you go to my parents' house, you still will see some of uh, my toys. Uh, I couldn't quite throw them away, uh, and my and uh, my nephews and and sons have time playing with them. But uh, there's a scene where the the boy is realizing, okay, I got to do something with them, and and he gives his toys away to this other little girl. As he's leaving to go to college. And it's like the toys are just looking at Andy driving off. And there's this little bit of sadness. And I was just bawling. I was crying. <laughs> you know. And it just it hit me. Why am I crying? Over toys. Misplaced pity. All right. Uh, it, it can be awkward <laughs> uh, to, to have these moments. And you read the book of Jonah. And it hits you the tragedy of misplaced pity for my little story it's kind of humorous but when you read Jonah you realize this is a tragedy to have misplaced pity and this chapter the whole book is startling I mean unfortunately it gets over in mind because the prophet gets swallowed by a great fish and and we get absorbed in that little detail and and how does that happen? What kind of fish was that? And did that really happen? Is Jonah real? And, and we start getting focused that we missed the whole powerful message of the book. And it is an extremely powerful message. Uh, it talks about prejudice and trusting God and the passion of God and, and whether uh, God really does go all out to make sure that people will hear the message. And then that is the message. God goes all out in making sure a message gets to the people. And we realize the message getting to the people isn't just Nineveh. That Jonah is the primary audience that God is talking to. And the book is really about Jonah hearing God more than even the Ninevites hearing God. And so we come to the fourth chapter, and it's like Jonah reveals his heart in this, this chapter. All the reasons of why he ran away when he heard the word of God, why he went to Tarshish, why he didn't want to go to Nineveh, and then just his attitude and why there was only a five-word sermon in the Ninevites, uh, but yet God used that to bring the whole city to the Lord, and, and he gives the rationale, and it's dark. And we read this, and we think, is this really a prophet? I mean, God calls this guy a prophet, and that's the type of reaction we get. That's the type of reaction I give to this book. And so uh, let's let's read this, and we're going to look at this together, and really get the the theme of the book at this fourth chapter. And so, in honor of this being God's word, let's let's stand as we read this together. Jonah chapter four. I'm going to read uh, chapter three verse ten uh, to get the context here. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that He had said He would do to them, and He did not do it. Do you do well to be angry? And Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. And he sat under it in the shade till he could see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant, made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. Should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from the left, and also much cattle? You may be seated. Forgive my alliteration. I had a disease I thought I cured myself from, but I'm going back to the preacher's disease of alliteration. It was just... Just give you that disclaimer. There's going to be a lot of P's going on in this one. All right? So, first of all, as we look at this text, I want you to notice the problem. Jonah has a problem. Uh, We see it uh, right at the very beginning. Uh, It has this this term, verse 1. It displeased Jonah exceedingly. It's interesting. The Hebrew word used here is also the word used for calamity, for destruction. It can also be used to talk about this anger that he was going on, and that it was an exceeding... Jonah would have been red-faced. When it talks about exceedingly angry, this is kind of the temper tantrum deal where he's throwing a fit. He's not just a little angry. He's seething. That's an exceeding anger. What on earth are you angry about Jonah? And so Jonah takes it to a prayer. And the simple fact is, He's angry because of verse 10. God saw what they did, their repentance. And so God himself repented. He turned from the disaster that he said would come. He said, I'm not going to allow it to happen yet. We're going to hold off because I see the humility. I see the repentance that they're doing. And this makes Jonah angry exceedingly. What are the reasons? What are the motivations for Jonah's anger? Well, it could be that he's just um, has extreme nationalism for Israel. He is, after all, the prophet to Israel. That, that is his domain. That is his mission. That is his calling. He's just on a short-term mission trip to Nineveh. And there's all kinds of need in Israel. And, and so maybe it's just this extreme nationalism for Israel to say, you know what? Here's Nineveh. I just give this eight, this, this five-word Hebrew message to them. And here they are repenting. And I've spent my life in Israel, and they don't repent. Maybe it's just frustration. Maybe it's because also the Ninevites are the enemies of Israel, and it's just a matter of time before they do come and destroy Israel as a nation. And so perhaps maybe it's this extreme nationalism, knowing that Nineveh is going to be the ones that that are already the enemies, but eventually they are the ones who destroy Israel. Maybe it has something to do with that. Maybe it has something to do with the fact that he's losing his reputation. I mean, he's the prophet of doom. I'm coming, and I'm going to lay it down. And God's going to wreck you. God's going to destroy you. And it's going to happen in 40 days. And, and here he's throwing on the line. Then God doesn't do it. Maybe it's messing with his reputation. I mean, after all, can you imagine going back to Israel after Nineveh has been destroyed? He's getting pats on the back. Man, our army couldn't do it, but you did it. Jonah, you're the man. And that didn't happen. And so perhaps maybe there's this reputation that that he's losing because of this. And so he takes his anger and he prays and that's commendable most of us when we get angry we talk about god but he talks to god about his anger and i think this is a comforting for us to know even in our anger it's, we can talk to god and watch what god does with it in our life and so let's look at the prophet's prayer and he prayed to the lord and he said Oh lord is not this what i said when i was yet in my country This is why I fled. This is why I went to Tarsus. the opposite direction. It wasn't because he was afraid of the Ninevites. It was because he knew that God was merciful. And if he gives this message of doom, they just might repent. And God just might forgive them. And I don't want that. You see, his problem is not fear. His problem is hate. He hates them. He doesn't want God to give them mercy sometimes one of the hardest points when i'm talking and counseling people with forgiveness and they're having frustrating moments of saying you know if i forgive them then they're going to get off the hook and you understand that's just wrong you don't have them on the hook and sometimes we think i don't want to forgive them because then they're off the hook that's not how it works because you're not their judge It's just you're just admitting that. But here's the the point that really gets hard. Okay, fine. I'll let God be their judge. But what if they ask for forgiveness from God? What if they trust in Jesus as their Savior? That is the sticking point. When I'm counseling with people that have a problem with forgiveness, that, at that moment, is where they have a hard time. God, what if you forgive them? Are they going to get away with it, God, if you forgive them? And this is where it comes in. Jesus has become that sin that you're so angry about. We have a harder time than you might imagine with forgiveness and God's forgiveness. Jonah is that one. He quotes in his prayer. He's praying scripture. That's always a good thing to do. And even Jonah, even as he's complaining to God, he is praying scripture. And in his mind, God is the problem. Isn't that always the case? When there's a problem, it's someone else that's the fault. Let me just ask you this question. When there's a problem in your marriage, what's the problem? Isn't it always the spouse I didn't even have to say he or she it's just the spouse is the problem if they would just if she would if he would they would it would work why don't we ever ask ourselves and tell ourselves well maybe I'm the problem we never go there do we it's always the spouse that's the problem Marriage, as you learn, as you grow, is God showing you, you're the problem. You're the problem. And here Jonah is, he, he's not, he can't blame the spouse. Here's the thing. Even when it's just us, just just not even a, a marriage issue, even then, God's the problem. In Jonah's mind, as he looks at this problem, he's not the problem. God's the problem. I knew you'd do that. God, you're such a problem maker. Like, look what he said he quotes exodus 34 verse 6 and 7 in his prayer when he says i knew you were gracious god merciful slow to anger abounding and steadfast love or re- relenting from disaster exodus 34 6 and 7 is when moses is up on the mountain the mount sinai and he's before god and he prays for god he prays god will you just show me your glory show me what you're like and god says i can't show you all that i'm, that I'm like You can't see me. You can't handle all that I am, the glory of who I am. But in this message, he says, uh, in Exodus 34, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and bounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But I, who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. This was something that most hebrews would have known they would have held on to you and i read this and most hebrews would read this and would have produced praise praise god and we would have worship songs about this and we and we sing about this and and some of the songs we sung this morning are about god's mercy and his forgiveness and his love and his, his grace but jonah uses these words not in praise but uses it in a tirade against god Loving. You're so merciful. Huh? You forgive people. You forgive the Ninevites. I hate that. What's Jonah's problem? Jonah's problem is he doesn't see the place of grace and mercy in his life. He doesn't get all those things that he's angry about for the Ninevites. It's like there's a disconnect of saying, Those things are about me also. His grace and mercy. The fact that he's forgiving of sin. Those are meant for me. And I share with you how this hit me years ago when I was angry about folks who were homosexuals who were blaspheming against God. And there's a video that I was watching and realizing God's mercy toward them. And then connecting. That mercy toward them is the same mercy toward me and that my sin also is of grievous nature of which God could at any moment strike me down dead and he would be just in doing it. Just understand if if I get wiped out by a semi-truck coming home and our whole family gets wiped out, God's just. What do you mean? I've got sin in my life. The fact that I'm still alive right now talking to you is nothing short of mercy. Nothing short of mercy. But somehow, someway, we always look at other people's sins as worse than our own sin. That's on a different category. I mean, that that that's gross stuff what they what what that person is doing. And we don't see in ourselves the grossness the, of our own sin. Jonah doesn't get that. And so he starts using the very attributes of God, and, and it becomes the basis of his tirade. Listen. When you see God bless someone that you see as unworthy with a blessing you yourself would like to have, how do you respond to that? How do you respond to that? Are you saying, God, why them? I mean, why do they get this money? Why do they get these things in their life? When, when other people have kids and you don't have kids, or maybe you have kids and others don't have kids, and you're, and you're thinking, God, why? How do you respond to that when you think that people are blessed in more ways than you are? Why do they get that recognition? It's at that moment, that reaction re- reveals how much in tune you are with your own need for grace. How generous are you with your money? Are we out of touch with what Jesus has done to save us and that we don't connect that with our financial resources? If you're not forgiving with others, with your spouse, with those around you, you probably don't understand the grace of God in your own life. If you're not forgiving others, then there has been a disconnect with the grace of God given to you. So what's his his prayer request? Verse 3. This is what he prays for. All the other is just leading up for the prayer request, verse 3. God, kill me now, basically. God, just kill me now. It is better for me to die than to live and watch this. <laughs> I mean, I think that was the basis of him asking to be thrown out of the boat. God, I'd rather die than go to Nineveh. And now he's obeyed in his actions, but in his heart, is still far from God. And that, we do that a lot, don't we? Uh, I mean, I, I see it in my family life. I see it in my life. Okay, God, I'm going to do this, but I'm not going to like it. Okay? And that's Jonah here. I'm going to do this, but I'm not going to like it. And I'm going to do it with the hopes that maybe you're going to destroy them all. But now God is revealing that in his life. And God's saying, I'm not going to let that go. So he's saying, God, take my life from me. Now, Jonah is, is all kinds of irony here. In chapter 1, he's running away from God's presence. Only in chapter 2 to lament being banished from the Lord. In chapter 2, he's praising God for saving his life. Only in chapter 4 for him asking God to take my life. We need to thank God for refused prayer. Basically, what's going on? Jonah has bad theology, which leads to despair in his life. What you believe about God matters. Here is leading him to the point of depression, to the point of, I just want to die. So I read that and I'm thinking, oh my Jonah. And this is where you get to the point of that's why you fled, that because you didn't want to see them forgiven. That and you start reading, is this really a prophet of God? God, what are you gonna do with that? And this is where we say, God, just it's understandable if you just kill them right here. Just wipe them out, let the ground open up and swallow them right here. But when then we read. Verse 4, well, we've got this probing question that God gives to the prophet. And The Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Do you catch the mercy in that? I mean, God had every right to say, I'm not talking to you anymore. You're just going to die. You're just, that's it. But instead, God responds to this unforgiving, selfish prophet and says, now, is it really right for you to be angry? But you notice there's no response. Jonah doesn't answer the question. <laughs> Every once in a while, you know, I, I understand when someone asks me a question, and I know they're, they're asking me to admit I'm wrong. What would we do? Well, maybe. <laughs> maybe it's right. I don't know. Maybe. Or, or even we just don't respond. So that's kind of Jonah's response. I, I don't want to answer that question. I'm, I'm just going to, I'm not going to ignore that. And so I think about a couple passages because the point that God is making is your anger in this. Anger has a a tie. If if you find yourself getting angry, usually it's tied to your desire to control. Think about it. When have you been angry? Typically, that anger has been when you couldn't control the scene. You couldn't control the situation. You couldn't control that person. You couldn't make them do what you wanted them to do. And so you lash out. Okay, that's not going to work. And I'm going to bluster my way and show my anger. And so here Jonah, he can't control God. And it bugs him. He gets angry. Ephesians 4, 26 to 28. A word of warning says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. This implies that there is an anger that can be done without sin. But it also brings out the idea that the Satan can work in, in places of anger. Often when we talk about anger, we, we always bring up Jesus in the temple and how there is this, this emotion of just casting out the, the vendors in the temple and say, Well, see, see, Jesus can be angry and be righteous. And here's my point. Yes, you're right. But you're not Jesus. You're not Jesus. I'm not Jesus. And when there's anger in my life, I've got to double check that big time. Because when I'm angry, I can justify my own anger and tell myself and tell anyone, you better believe I'm righteous. There's not many times i look back and thought I was unrighteously angry at the time. Until God opened up some eyes and humbled me. James 1, 19, verse 20, uh, verse James chapter 1, verse 19 through 21. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. I think that's just a word for us to be careful. When anger comes in, Jonah's angry. God questions him. Are you right to be angry? I think there's some words of instruction here to to examine this in our own life. But then you go on and see Jonah's reaction in verse five. This is what I call the prophet's pal. I mean, he just walks off, Jonah went out of the city, sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there, and sat under it in the shade till he could sit, till he should see what would become of the city. I mean he just kind of made himself comfortable. God, I don't like that response. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna answer that question. I'm just gonna go outside. I'm gonna sulk a little bit. I'm just gonna watch hoping the city is gonna be destroyed and I'm just gonna be entertained here. All right? So he's trying to make himself comfortable getting in the shade. But you know what? Here's one of the things I, I love about this whole interaction is God tenderly remakes us into his message, message. He is tenderly remaking us into his message. Not just to use us to give his message out, but to be his message. He could have said to Jonah, Jonah, you stiff-necked, hard-hearted person, I'm just going to let you go, and I'm going to do with Nineveh as I see fit. Thanks for giving the message out, but you don't get it. Go on your own way. He doesn't do that, though. He responds tenderly with this question, and says, Jonah, I'm not going to let you go. You've got sin." You've got unforgiveness in your heart. You've got rebellion in your heart. I'm not going to let it go. Why? Because he wants Jonah to be the message and not just to give the message. Do you understand that? God wants you in your personality, in your character, to be the message, to reflect God's word. And he's going to do whatever it takes to make sure that your heart gets it. So, verse 6. We see the, the prophet's pity is displayed. I love this passage as we go to verse 6 down to verse 11. Because you see God's orchestrating events. I've shared with you before that the book of Jonah brings out the sovereignty of God. That God ordains a storm, ordains or sets apart a great fish. Then we see now that he sets up this plant. He ordains this plant to grow up. And then he causes a worm, ordains a worm to come. Then he ordains a great east wind. You see God's sovereignty in worms, plants, winds, winds fish, and storms. It is amazing. And they just obey without question. But then God ordains a prophet to go to Nineveh. (laughs) And then there's problems. You see, God's ordaining of events, his sovereignty, but then you also see man making real choices. It it just brings out these two together. Now, now the Lord God appointed a plan. It's probably a castor plan or a gourd made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort now, now catch this next phrase so Jonah was exceedingly glad alright this is to, to match the exceedingly angry displeasure it is the only time so far in the book where Jonah's ever mentioned as glad I mean that's not even given when he's delivered from the, the great fish he doesn't say I'm glad he's exceedingly glad over a plant over his head and, and it's exceedingly it's kind of like delirious He's deliriously happy over a plant, giving a little shade. One, well, there's immediate relief, there's comfort, but also he can see it as perhaps maybe God's vindication over me. Here, I'm going to watch the city to destroy, and God's allowed this plant to grow, and this is just a little sign of His pleasure over me in my life. So, what happens? Well, a worm comes up, attacks the plant, withers, makes it wither. An east wind comes, dry when and just wipes it away. And so what's his reaction? Well, you see again, verse 8, he starts whimpering again. It's better for me to die than to live. And then God brings it to a point. Do you do well to be angry for the plant? Now, the plant is just something to make his life comfortable. But I find that I get angry about things that are meant to give me comfort and they're not there anymore. And his point is is about to be, look, you're angry of this plant. Verse 10, you pity the plant. You didn't labor for it. It grew up in a day and went down the next day. It's temporal. You didn't invest in it. And it perished in a night. Then verse 11, Should I not pity Nineveh? These people who are eternal souls, who I have invested in, I've created them. You have not cared for this plant. You've not invested in this plant. It's temporal, but yet you have anger over this plant, and you can't get angry over people in sin. You get glad over this plant, but you cannot rejoice when these people repent. And there's verse 11. He kind of brings it all. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons which do not know the right hand from the left? Like most people think that could be referring to children. They don't know the right hand from the left. 120,000 children. And also much cattle. <laughs> that question kind of throws me off there at the end. And much cattle too. <laughs> but it's, it's, what he's saying is even cattle... Are more important than one little plant. How much more? 120,000 people. And you get upset. Over this. You know. This is where. We have to be careful as Americans. Because we see things going down. In our country economically. Things are going down. I I believe morally as well. Spiritually that we see a, a downward slide. And then we start talking about. You know what? I can't even sell my house anymore. We start talking about how jobs are going down. And we get frustrated because our 401Ks have dropped. The life of promise doesn't look as promising as it did 15, 10 years ago. I just want to caution us. Are we more passionate about our bank accounts, our houses, our cars, our food pantries, the job status of our state, than we are the fact that there's 2.2 billion people who have not even heard the name of Jesus. I'm afraid we can be more like Jonah than we want to admit. You realize we, in our generation now, I I remember when I was younger and and being aware enough to, to hear Totals of, of world population. I remember hearing things like 3.5 billion people when I was young. And now it's 7 billion from this past end of 2011. You realize that we're one of the first generations ever to see the world population double in our lifetime? You understand that there are more people alive today. Walking this earth today than there has been in the history of the world together. You get that? And that this day, there will be over a billion people going hungry this day. Out of those seven billion. And as I said before, 2.2 billion that have never heard the name of Christ and what God has done for them. And those numbers just don't compute with us, do they? By the way, God's saying it here is oftentimes we care more about a plant than we do the fact that there's 120,000 people that don't know their left hand from right, and they're going to die and be destroyed by God's wrath for their sin because they've never repented of Christ. I was thinking about that this past week as I was working my garden, planting things. I bought a fence this year. Because last year, they got consumed by deer. So I'm going to put this up. And I saw deer prints in my yard close to my garden. I was just feeling it. It's a competition every year, me against the deer. I don't win. But it's, it's like I get angry. I get angry about that. But when do I ever get angry? When I see neighbors. They don't worship God. Don't care for things of God. Do you ever get angry about that? Do you ever get broken hearted? Yeah, you know, I, I had tulips. I were eaten. beautiful little flowers. I thought, like, oh, this is going to be so pretty. I got so disappointed. Do I ever get disappointed when someone turns away from hearing the gospel? maybe we don't because we've never shared the gospel have we ever known that disappointment have you ever known the joy of hearing someone say i've never known that about the bible i've never known that about easter i've never known that about what jesus has done i've heard about him but i've never known these until you told me has it ever been in our ears The fact of the matter is I read this book and I want to look at Jonah. I think, Jonah, you're a fool. But you notice how the book ends. It ends with God asking this question, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city? Who don't even know 120,000. Who don't even know the right from the left. And it ends with a question. And we're thinking, okay, where's, where's, where's Jonah's response? There's no response given. Because it's meant for us to lay, leave that hanging on our own heart. Should God not pity the people around you? Should he not want the gospel to come to them? Should he not want them to hear this? And I'm thinking about last year when the Japan had the earthquakes and tsunami coming through. And we saw the videos of, of these waves coming through and wiping out houses and cars and just wiping out cities. And we... All saw this online. We are just asking ourselves, are people in those cars? Are people in those houses? And it hits us the tragedy of this moment. But do you understand that every day there's a tidal wave of death coming through and wiping and carrying people away from this place into eternal judgment with God because they've never heard of Jesus' name. Has it ever crossed our minds to think that way and to look at the people in Nightdale around us to know when you open up the obituary page, do you ever wonder how many of these people ever knew Jesus as the Savior and Lord? Or do we just think, I don't want to go there. I don't want to think that these people are just dead. Do I know anybody there? Every day in our papers, it shows us the tidal wave of death. They're taking people away from this place, this place where they can hear the gospel. And I'm thinking, you know, why are we going to get so consumed just about the things going on in a church body? The things that we're to be consumed about in a church body are to be done so that we will be passionate about people coming to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. I want to share a song with you, not me singing, but this is one that was brought to my attention as a a teenager. Um, 1992, someone showed me this guy I didn't like it because it came out of the 70s. And I just don't like music styles out of the 70s, typically. And uh, until I heard this one song. This man died in 1982 at age 28. He um, was a believer for just like the last five years of his life. And I heard this song, and I still remember sitting in my car when I heard this song. It's called A Sleep in the Light by Keith Green and it shook me to the core and I pray that we will listen to this song this message get past the whole seventy style of it but hear the words and I want to make it our prayer a question from God through the book of Jonah to us are we as a church asleep in the light that God has given to us am I Asleep in the light that God has given to me. So listen as as we watch this.
1: But he cries, he weeps, he bleeds, and he cares for your needs. And you just lay back and keep sober. Jesus came to you.
0: you can see it's a pretty moving song it's meant to be challenging in our face so is the book of Jonah we're still alive we're alive for a reason to give yourself away for the purposes of God God's purposes I just want to challenge you as a church challenge me as a pastor there are people who will die today Have they ever had an opportunity to hear the gospel that are right here in our backyard? Your friends. Will you pray for them? Will you talk to them? Will you invite them to know about the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's one of the very reasons why you're here. I invite you as we stand and sing. Perhaps there's conviction in your heart. This is from the word of God of Jonah. God put it in the book in the Bible for a reason. He wants you to read it. He wants you to ask yourself this question. Should he not pity your neighbors? Should he not pity those around you? Why do we care more about the temporal things when God cares about the people around us. Let's pray and make God's passion our passion. Let's confess our misplaced pity and go to our Lord and make him our passion. Let's stand as we sing.